Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. Well, good morning, everybody. Come on, can you give Jesus your best praise here this morning? Yes. Oh, wow, it is so good to be with you. Turn to someone, don't give them a high five, but just look at them and smile through your mask. And you can be seated, everybody. So good to be with you. Honored to be at Radiant Church. I love this church. This is like my fourth or fifth time speaking here. And after the second or third time, start feeling like family. And so I'm excited to be with my church family today. I love you so much. I want to look right in the camera and say hello to those of you who are joining us at our other locations or those of us who are joining us online. Man, we love you so much and it is such a joy to be with you for part two of this series that we're doing called Happy Hour. And I'm really excited about this. Last week was an amazing message Pastor Aaron brought to kick off this series. And the whole message was on living a life that is unoffendable. And I just thought to myself, how amazing would it be if the church could be known for letting go of offense? One of the things that's funny about offense is holding on to an offense. It only hurts your offender. It, it never hurts your offender. It lets them keep hurting you. So why, why would you hold on to an offense any longer than you have to? Today, I'm really excited to bring you part two. But before I do, I just want to mention something to you. I hope you know how blessed you are to be a part of this church. Like you really are. And sometimes we take the best things in our life for granted. We just do. And we miss out, in my opinion, on the beauty of what God has for us in that season because we just take it for granted. And the things you take for granted have this tendency of just exiting your life. Like this church isn't normal. The way you're reaching people isn't normal. Serving the way you served yesterday isn't normal. And I just don't want you to miss the beauty of what God is doing here. Now, if I could offer you this thought, um, I'm a pastor of a church like Pastor Aaron is the pastor of this church. I'm a pastor. And one of the things that I've learned over my years of pastoring is the loudest voices that you often hear are the voices of the critics. It's really funny. The world is so full of critics and cynics and haters. I think it's time that the church rise up and be known for being a positive force in the world. And I just think this is an awesome opportunity for you to show some love to your pastors. You, you realize you have the best pastors, right? Like Pastor Aaron and Katie are amazing. They love you so much. They're wonderful. And they're away on their 10-year anniversary trip right now. I hope they're not watching this. I hope they're sleeping in somewhere. But, but here's the point. I want to ask you to do something. To, it's for me, okay? I'm going to ask you this week to find some time today or tomorrow. And I want you to share what God has done in your life as a result of being a part of this great church and because of the ministry of, the, of Pastor Aaron and Katie. So I asked the team here, how can we do that? And they gave me this email address, info at weareradiant.com. If you would do me a favor, this week and send them an email and just say what God has done in your life as a result of them and their ministry. I believe it would be such a tremendous blessing and encouragement as they launch into this next season of the church here. So do that for me. Well, today, since I'm family, today I want to bring you a message that really is going to get all up in your business a little bit, if that's okay, because family members do family things. So let's have a family talk. Let's pray, then let's get to work together today, okay? Let's pray. So God, we love you so much, and we're thankful that we get to be a part of this amazing place. God, help us to never take it for granted. God, as we open your word today, I ask you to challenge us. Paint for us a picture of the kind of life we could live if we would just fully entrust our lives to you. We love you, God, and we're going to give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, you ever, um, you ever have a day that didn't go the way that you intended it to go? 
You ever have a day like that, a day you had it all planned out, it was going to be perfect, and it just didn't go the way you intended it to go? Some years ago, I had an opportunity to travel to California for a day. I was going to be there for 24 hours, and when I travel by myself, it's the funniest thing. I get really, really cheap when it comes to spending money. If I take my wife and kids, I get us a nice hotel, we eat at nice restaurants, but when it's me, I get like the cheapest hotel room, the cheapest rental car, I eat the cheapest food, come on, Crystal Burger, somebody, I eat cheap food. And so I was gonna be in California for just literally 24 hours, and so I looked online, hotels.com, for the cheapest hotel I could find there in the city, and it was a Ramada. But Ramada, that can't be too bad. It said 1.5 stars, but what do they know, right? And anyways, I fly to California, my flight's delayed, so I'm already annoyed. I get, finally get to the hotel and I walk into this 1.5 star Ramada and there is nobody waiting at the front desk for me. Well, no big deal. There's a sign that says, please ring bell for attendance. So I ding, ring the bell and no one comes. But maybe I didn't ring it hard enough, so I will ring it twice and with some emotion this time. Ding, ding, and I waited and nobody showed up. No big deal. At this point, I'm getting a little frustrated, but I'm choosing to be unoffendable. Watch week one. And so I decide to ring it like eight times. Ding, da, da, ding, da, ding, da, ding, 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 ding. And then out of the shadows emerges this ding, ding bat. He comes walking out. My dude has been asleep. You can tell his hair is all up on one side. His eyes are like adjusting to the light. He's got sleep lines on his face. And he goes, I'm sorry, bro. He goes, I was, um, I'd fallen asleep. He goes, you get it, right? No, I don't get it. I don't understand falling asleep at work. I don't get it. But whatever, can we get checked in? So he pushes the buttons on the keyboard and he says, good, you got the last room. Here's the key. And he hands me a key. Now check this out. Um, he doesn't hand me like a credit card key card. He hands me a key. Look, I've watched enough Dateline in 2020 to know that you shouldn't stay in a hotel that gives you a key that the person who stayed in the room last night could duplicate and come in and murder you. You know, spoiler alert for those of you who are nervous, I survived, everything was fine, but... So strike two, number one is the guy's not awake. Number two, he gives me a key. I go to the room, open the door, and I step one foot into the carpet on the room, and the carpet makes this sound, squish. Based on your reaction, I know that carpet isn't supposed to do that. It makes this terrible sound. I walk into it, I'm like, oh, this is terrible, but just whatever. And I was reminded that he said, this is the last room that they had. So I was like, I'm just going to get through it. I'll just fight through it, no big deal. I set my bag down and I look up over the bed and on the wall, there is this stain on the wall. And I think, oh God, please let that be coffee. Sure, it's coffee. It's got to be coffee. It could be blood. Oh my goodness, there's blood. Maybe, I don't know what it is. I'm just not going to think about it. Okay, fine. So I power through it. I get in bed. I lay down, I pull the covers up over me, and remember elementary school when they would do lice checks, and even if you didn't have lice, your head just started itching. I start feeling that, like, I just start feeling weird, and I think to myself, okay, Burns, you gotta power through this. You can get through this, you can do it. So I roll over and I fall asleep, right? Middle of the night, I wake up and I have to use the restroom, so I just go to the restroom and I think to myself, this is the kind of hotel where I should probably turn the light on just to make sure, you know, there's not someone in here. And I, I turn the light on and like 20 roaches just explode out. Usually at this point, I would call the front desk and be like, hey, there's a roach in my room. But I actually felt that 
that, that I was in their room at this point, you know? Um, it's bad, like a family convention all up in there. And anyways, at this point, I'm done sleeping. So I get back in bed and I just lay there with my eyes open until the sun comes up. Sun comes up. I go to take a shower. I'm thinking this is going to get better. I'm going to start my day. And I go to the bathroom and the shower curtain is all the way to one side. So I turn the water on and I promise you, I pull the shower curtain closed to not let water spill on the floor. And I pull it closed. And as I do, this large pair of polka dotted women's underwear comes falling and sticks the landing on my shoulder. At this point, I'm freaking out. Like, what do you get a tetanus shot? Like, what do you do in this moment? Then I had this fear that my wife was going to call me on FaceTime and I would have to explain that because God knows I'm not touching it to move it, you know. And anyways, just that day didn't go anything as expected. You ever have a day that's like that? A day that you have all your plans laid out and ain't nothing working for you. You ever have one of these days? And then some of us have had those days. Others of us have had those weeks. Others of us have had those seasons of our life. Some of us have had those marriages. Some of us have those kids. Some of us have had seasons in our life that we wish we could go back and undo. And isn't the tendency in that moment to turn to God and be like, where are you? What are you doing? Why aren't you showing up for me the way that I expect you to show up? Have you ever noticed also that there's some people who handle those difficult seasons with such unbelievable grace Six months into my marriage, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. My beautiful Italian wife with thick flowing hair started eight rounds of grueling chemotherapy in the hospital every time. And nurses and doctors would comment that she was cheering them up. How does that happen? I got one of my best friends in the world right here on the front row, Pastor Andy Foreman. Early on in his marriage, he and his wife got pregnant and had a son, this amazing miracle. And his son was born with unbelievable challenges and medical difficulties. And I watched as for the son's whole life, this man and his wife loved and served with such grace and such strength. It's like they had joy in the middle of unbelievable darkness. How does that happen? Like as a Christian, I grew up in church singing songs like, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Anybody remember that song? And so many Christians say this, I've got the joy of the Lord in my heart. Well, tell your face, right? Like <laughs> some Christians are the most miserable people. Why is this? Well, I've learned something from walking through some pretty dark days in my life. And here's what it is. There's a huge difference between happiness and joy. I think God wants you to be happy. He's your loving heavenly father. But there's the difference between happiness and joy. I'd say it to you like this. Happiness is external. Joy is internal. Happiness isn't based on your circumstances. Check this out. Happiness, here's number two. Happiness is based on what's happening in our circumstances. Joy is based on Christ. Your circumstances change like the direction of the wind, but Christ has changed everything for you. Here's one more. Happiness happens by chance. Joy, on the other hand, happens by choice. I think it's possible that you and I can navigate the difficult waters of this life and have joy that exudes from us in spite of everything happening around us, in spite of what's happening in the economy and with the virus and sickness and, and tension in the world. In spite of all of that, you and I can be people characterized by joy. So how amazing would it be if that's who we were? In fact, I would add this. One of the marks of a mature Christian 
It's how you respond to difficult circumstances. You will know that you're maturing in your relationship with God when you handle difficult challenges in your life with tremendous joy. So what would it look like if all of us just made this decision? I'm going to be a person that's characterized by joy. Now, I could, spend, I could spend my whole time today talking about different areas that this applies to your life, your relationships, your marriage. I could talk about your health. I could talk about all these different places, but I want to spend today talking about an area that I see robs so many people of their joy. It's in the area of their money. Now, now your money has this way of magnifying everything, doesn't it? If, if you're a generous person and you get money, you just become more generous. If you're a stingy person and you get more money, you hold on even tighter. Money is strictly a magnifier. And here's the thing. For a lot of us, when our money feels good, everything in our life feels good. But when money gets challenging, it feels like our life falls apart. A couple of years ago, I read that, that money was named in 20% of the divorces that were filed that year as a contributing factor. Money's a big deal. Like, we got to talk about it and deal with it because I believe that this could be a place of joy or it could be a place where you slowly allow yourself to drift away from God. So let me offer you this thought. If you're a note taker, I'm going to give you the end of the message right now. I'm going to skip right ahead in case you fall asleep on me or you change the channel. I'm going I'm to start right here. Here's the end of the message. Here's what it is. God is my source. He is my provider. God is my source. He is my provider. Now, how amazing would it be if you could live this life knowing this truth? How free would you feel to not worry about your finances or to not worry about where your next meal is going to come from if you fully trusted that God is my source and he is my provider? Let me point something out to you. Your job is not your source. And your boss is not your source. And the economy is not your source. And what the president and Congress decides is not your source. Your source is God and God alone. And when you settle this debate, you get to live light and free. Like it changes so much for you. So to do this, here's what I want to do. Today I want to look at this unique story. It's this ancient story found towards the beginning of your Bible in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. If you brought a Bible, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 4. And before we get there, let me set up what's happening First of all, you need to understand that there's two different people we're going to talk about today. There's a man named Elijah and a man named Elisha. The story we're going to read is about Elisha, but to know Elisha, you've got to know his predecessor, Elijah. Elijah was known as one of the greats. He was a goat, the greatest of all time. Many people say that he was the best prophet to ever live, and a prophet was someone who would speak to nations and speak to kings and leaders on behalf of God. And Elijah didn't back down from anyone. Elijah lived under an evil, wicked king. And at one point, God said to him, go to the king and say to the king, because of your wickedness and your evil decisions, I'm not going to let it rain for three years in the country. And Elijah gathers his courage and does it. And God answers and doesn't send any rain. At one point, God says to Elijah, I want to show everyone that I'm real. Set up a contest and I'm going to prove that I'm real. So he sets up this contest against the king, the evil king and all the different gods, the, the false gods that they worshiped. And he goes to this place called Mount Carmel. He builds an altar or a table and he says, I'm going to prove that God is real. And let's see if he will answer my prayer. God send down fire from heaven and God sends down fire from heaven and consumes the offering. Now check this out. If someone can do that, I'm just with them. Like I'm on their team, right? Everybody wanted to be with Elisha, Elijah because of what he did. And Elisha is his follower. Now, here's the funny thing. It's always hard to come out of the shadows of a great leader. It, it just is. When someone is larger than life, it's really hard to follow them, to follow what they do. 
And Elisha, at the beginning of his ministry, says to Elijah, as Elijah was about to transition out, he says, here's all I want. I want a double portion of the anointing or the power of God that's in your life. So this miracle happens, and this is the funny thing to me. Elijah did a lot of amazing miracles, and it's recorded about Elisha, literally two miracles for every one miracle that Elijah did. So Elisha is this epic, extraordinary person, and there's this moment in Elisha's life where he's just out doing his thing, just profiting it up, whatever prophets do. He's just profiting it up. And he's walking through the town and he sees this woman and there's this weird interaction. 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 1 says this. It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. He's dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. So this woman's got a big problem. I want you to think about your problems for just a moment. Some of us have little problems that are not that big, and others of us are walking through major challenges right now. I think about my problems, and in light of this woman's problems, mine feel relatively small. And this woman, her whole world has come crashing in. Her husband has passed away. Now, here's what you need to know. We don't know exactly who her husband is, but many biblical scholars have connected some dots in Scripture, and they believe that her husband was a man named Obadiah. Obadiah was a prophet, but his main job was to provide for and to take care of all of the other prophets. So he fed them and he got to make sure they had money to survive and to make it through. And now he's died. And instead of Obadiah leaving a will, Obadiah leaves a bill. He's got bills that are unpaid. And his wife now has no meaningful way to earn income for herself. She has nothing she can do. She is not just down on her luck, but she's completely out of luck at this point. And she throws her problems onto the back of this man of God who's walking through town. And she says, unless God does something, my sons, whom I love, they're going to be taken away as slaves. Think about your problems. Think about hers. She's about to learn something that I hope all of us get today, and here's what it is. When you don't have enough, you're going to find that God is all you need. When you don't have enough, when it doesn't make sense, when you're, the mental math isn't working, you're going to find that God is all you need. Let's keep going. Verse 2, it says this. So Elisha replied to her, five words, how can I help you? Now, I love this example. Because this is a man who now has a problem. This woman has thrown all of her problems on him. And instead of doing what we tend to do, he asked her these five words, how can I help you? Say, what do you mean? So often when we're going through difficult seasons, we get, we get nearsighted. We stop seeing what God is doing and we get so self-focused that we stop serving other people. And really well-meaning Christians say, you know, like I want to serve, but I just need some, I need some time to focus on me. I've never understood that at all. Like if you, want, if you want to get through something, take your eyes off of your problem and affix them to something so much bigger than your problems, right? He says, how can I help you? And then he goes on to say this, tell me, what do you have in your house? Like what have you got available to you to use to, to be the breeding ground for a miracle? And she responds, your servant has nothing there at all. I got nothing my husband died, I'm left with some bills, and I have nothing to my name. This is so funny to me. Here's the point. When you're hurting, when you're hurting, all you can see is what you don't have. 
When you're hurting, all you can see is what you don't have. And you think, well, that's ridiculous. Who does that? We walk into closets full of clothes and say, I have nothing to wear. We, we walk into pantries full of food and think, I really don't want to eat any of the food in here. I don't have anything to eat, right? We do this all the time. All we can see is that which we don't have. But Elisha asked her a question, what do you have? Okay, get your eyes off of your problem for a moment and answer, what do you actually have? And she responds, look at this, the end of verse 2 again. She says, I have nothing there at all, she said, except, except just a little bit of oil. This is all that I have. All that I have to my name is just a little tiny bit of oil. Now, here's what you need to know about oil in the Bible. Oil was used for a bunch of different reasons. Oil was used for cooking. Oil was used for flavor. Oil was used for anointing. That has two different meanings. It could mean they would touch your head with some oil and pray, and it would represent the power and the presence of God. But also, like, anointing meant something very practical. They lived in the Middle East. It is very hot. The sun bakes you. So often when a person would come into your house off of a long trek, they'd pour oil on your head to help cool you off. The water would evaporate. The oil, though, would stay with you. So they pour this oil on people's heads. They, they would use it to keep leather good. And this woman says, look, as I survey all that I've got, this is all that I have. And I just want to show you something. This and the little bit she had is all God was ever going to need in order to do a miracle. She started with the wrong mindset. Remember, he said, what do you have? And she said, I have nothing. I have nothing. Well, the funny thing is that this is, this is so wrong. She started with the wrong mindset. Now, many of us tend to fall into one of these two mindsets like this woman, a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality. A scarcity mentality literally takes their hands and closes in tight and holds on tight to what they have. It's interesting, the word miserable, you've heard this before, the root of the word miserable is the word miser. What is a miser? Someone who counts pennies and holds on very tightly to what they have. A person with a scarcity mentality never really trusts and never fully obeys because they have to believe that they are their source. So, some years ago when my son Joey, who turns 13 this month, when he was like, Three, we would give him animal crackers like you do. And if I gave him five, he would eat four, like boom, 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 real fast. But when he got to that last one, he held onto it really tight and he would like lick it and he would gnaw on it. There'd be like severed animal head giraffe all up over his hand, you know, and he would just eat it. But if I showed him that I had more, he would eat it immediately and take another one and he would eat them all until he got to his last one and he held on so tight. That's how so many of us live in the area of our money. It's like we think that we're our source, and so we hold on as tightly to it as we can. But there is a different way that Christians get to live. It's with what I call an abundance mentality. An abundance mentality is the opposite. You open your hands like this, and you say, God, I'm living open-handed. Anything you bless me with, I'm going to use to bless others. Anything I have belongs to you. It all came from you. You're my source, not me. Like, how free is it to live in this way. So he says to her, what do you have? What do you have? She says, I just, I have a little bit of oil and that's all that I have. I love how God works because God always starts to work with what we have. Think about scripture, right? Moses, this hero of the faith, leads the people of Israel out of slavery. The people in Israel had been in captivity for over 400 years. He leads them out of slavery towards this land that God has promised them. And at one point they get stuck. The Red Sea in front of them, the Egyptians coming behind them to change their mind. Moses says, God, what do I do? And God says, what's in your hand? 
Moses says, well, I have this staff, this rod. He goes, okay, lift it up. So he lifts it up and the Red Sea parts in front of them. God does a miracle with what Moses has in his hand. Think about the New Testament. In all four gospels, Jesus is recorded doing this miracle where thousands of people have come to hear what he's going to say. Jesus says, the story says that there's 5,000 people, but the truth is that was 5,000 men. Realistically, it was at least 10, 15, 20,000 when you factored in women and children. And they're there listening to Jesus teach. And one of the disciples who reminds me of me goes up to Jesus and he's like, listen, I think you're doing amazing, but I'm fine. But everyone else is hungry. Don't worry. It's not, it's not, it's not me. I'm good. But everyone else is starving. So we should let them go. And Jesus says, well, let's feed them. He goes, well, yo, we didn't, um, we didn't pack food for 20,000 people. What do you want us to do? And Jesus says, what do you have? What do you have available to you? So they grab this little boy's lunch. It's some bread and some fish. And Jesus takes it. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he gives them back less than even what they had. And then they start distributing the food. And the food multiplies in their hands. The miracle happens in the hands of the disciples when that which they had, which what they had was offered to Jesus, broken and given back to them. This is what God invites us to do. That this is the whole principle of giving and trusting God in the area of our resources. We have what we have. We say, God, everything I have came from you. I'm going to give to you and I'm going to keep less of what I had for myself. But I trust that you're my source and you're my provision, not me. God always starts with that which we have. So the point is we've got to stop waiting for what we want and start working with what we have. This changes everything for us. Now let's keep going. Verse 3, the story gets interesting. So Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. It's like you can feel the uprising of a miracle. It goes on. She left him and afterwards the door and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept Pouring. I want you to see this. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Leave this up here for me for just a moment. Just to recap what's happened. Elisha says to her, what do you have? She says, I got nothing. Well, maybe I have a little bit of oil. He says, the oil is all we need. God starts with what you have. And that's where the miracle happens. He says, go get every jar you can find. So they go to all their neighbors and they get jars and barrels and they get pots and they get all these things and they lay them out. And he says, shut the door. So they do. And they take the little bit of oil they have. And he says, now pour it into the jars that you have. I can imagine she's nervous. Like this is all she's got. If she pours it out and tries to pour it back into the jar, she's going to have even less than what she started with. And she starts pouring a little bit. And then she looks and realizes that the, the volume in the jar never went down. So she poured a little bit more. And more and more. And that which she had actually never ran out. And she began to fill jar after jar after jar after jar after jar after jar after jar. And eventually, eventually when the last jar was full, then the oil stopped flowing. Now here's just a very casual observation from the text. The level that she was able to receive the blessing of God was directly tied to the level of her obedience. If she went out and got three jars, if she got three jars, how much oil would she have? Three jars worth. If she got 30, she would have 30. If she got 3,000, she would have 3,000 jars worth. I think this is how God invites all of us to trust him too. It's like the level of our obedience definitely predicts the level of the blessing of God in our lives. 
how amazing would it be if we live beginning to just trust that he is our source and he is our provision, not me. It changes everything. The story goes on. One last verse, verse 7. Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. God does a miracle for this woman that literally changes her life. And it starts with her realizing that she has more to offer to God than what she even thought. And then secondly, when she offered it, God poured out his blessing. So what do we do with this? Well, here's the whole point. We need to offer God what we have and trust him to give us what we need. Okay, how amazing would it be if we could take the pressure off of ourselves and stop feeling like we have to be the source and we have to be the provision and trust that God is ultimately going to take care of us. How amazing would it be? Like some of you would sleep better at night if you weren't worried. Some of you wouldn't worry at all if you just trusted that God is who he says he is. I'll give you two quick stories. When this whole shutdown happened a few months ago, I'm going to be honest with you and tell you, I wish I was better at this than I'm preaching about right now. I, I have my church that I lead, and I have another company that I run. And literally the night, like it was the middle of March, overnight, our sales dropped 95%. And I remember laying in bed that night thinking like, yo, I don't know how I'm going to pay these people. I don't, I don't know how this is going to work. This, this doesn't make sense to me. The math doesn't add up in my head. And I just had to make this decision. God, I've always trusted you. You've always been faithful. Check this out. The greatest indicator of what God is going to do for you is what he has done in the past for you. So look in the rearview mirror of your life and see the faithfulness of God and celebrate what he's going to do in the future. God, you've always been faithful. You will always be faithful. So I look in the rearview mirror of my life and I have this memory. In the super early days of what became our church, we didn't set out to start a church. I started a college Bible study for some of my friends who love God but just weren't connected to a church. And it was for college students. And so we started and people started showing up and I love college students. If you're a college student, I think you have the world to change. It's gonna be amazing what you do in your life. I love college students. The problem with college students is when they come, like they're on the front end of their careers. Like if they give, it's like very, very little that they're able to give. And so we stepped out. We felt like God said, you start this and trust me and I'll take care of you. So we did. And so we didn't have money. Like Pastor Aaron started Radiant Church so well. I started Access, my church, so bad. Like I did everything wrong that you could possibly do. But I look back and I know that we trusted God. Well, in that season, my wife and I just felt like if God told us to do something, we're all in. So I emptied my bank account, literally gave everything that I had to the point where I had completely run out of money. And I remember getting to the end of the month and still needing a lot of money to keep our church going. But here's the deal. Like I'll never, ever manipulate people when it comes to money, ever. I ask people to just, God, what would you have me do? And be obedient to what God asked you to do. So that service happens and I remember saying to God, God, if this amount doesn't come in, we're gonna have to shut it down. I don't wanna take my family into debt. I trust you, I need you to provide. Let's see what happens. And at that time we were having services on Sunday nights and Sunday night the offering came in and the people counted it and told me and my heart sank. It wasn't even close to enough to cover the gap that we needed to keep going. So the night I went home and I tossed and turned in bed thinking like, I'll send an email tomorrow, letting everybody know that I love them, but this has been a good run and we're gonna shut it down. Well, the next morning, Monday, I got busy with stuff and 
forgot about it and I went to the mailbox and I remember I needed $1,186 just to, to, to make rent. That's $1,186. I go to the mailbox and in the mailbox is a letter from my dad, handwritten letter. I wasn't expecting it, I didn't know. God is my witness, the only person in the world that knew the financial challenges we were facing was my wife. I didn't complain because I never want to manipulate people. Open the letter and it's a handwritten full page letter from my dad that still is in my office. It's three paragraphs. Paragraph one was how proud of us they were for trusting God and stepping out. Paragraph two, he said, you're gonna have critics. You're gonna have haters. He quoted that brilliant philosopher, Taylor Swift, said the haters gonna hate, 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 whatever. Paragraph three, he said, your mom and I were praying and we felt like God told us to send you this. Now you don't know my parents, they're the best parents, but they've never had extra. They've never had tons of cash just sitting left over at the end of the month. And my dad had done some random speaking engagement and they blessed him financially. And he sent a check because he felt like God told him for $1,200. It was everything we needed plus $14. And since then, we've had seasons in our church where money's been tight. We've never manipulated people, but God has always provided. I just wanna say this to you. When you learn to trust God in this area of your finances, it changes everything. Money magnifies stuff. And when you understand that when you trust God in the area of your money, it's like it magnifies your trust in him in other places. So how amazing would it be if you and I could let go of the financial pressure and just trust that when it's all said and done, you are not your source and your boss is not your source and your paycheck and your job, it's not your source. God is your source. It changes everything. So, so here's how I want to end today. Would you take this, take your hands and put them out in front of you like this? We're not doing anything mystical or weird. We're just saying, God, I'm doing something with my hands that indicate what's happening in my heart. Instead of having the scarcity mentality and holding on tight, God, I'm letting go and I'm trusting you. Come on, let's pray. God, we trust you. We trust that you're our source. You're our provision. We trust you. God, may we have the courage to look at what we have, our time, our energy, our money, our talent, and say, God, I offer it back to you. And I trust that as I do, you will take care of me. God, for some of us, we've held on so tightly and it is the number one cause of stress in our lives. God, we let go of that and we trust you and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And before we go with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, maybe today you've heard me talk about God and his provision, but you don't even know him. Maybe you've never made a decision to surrender control of your life to Jesus, but today you want to start or restart a relationship with him. It changes everything. And if you're here in this room, if you're joining us at one of our locations, or maybe you're watching right now online and you don't know if Jesus is the Lord of your life, but today you wanna start or restart a relationship with him, I'm gonna ask you in three seconds to raise your hand in a moment of boldness and in a moment of surrender and say, I wanna start a relationship with him right now. Come on, all across this room, if you wanna start or restart a relationship with Jesus, thank you, thank you. This is your moment. I'm gonna ask those of you who indicated, those of you who are joining us online, right now in the comfort of your own home, would you just say this prayer with me and surrender your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I give you control of my life. You be the Lord of my life. I invite you to take over my life and forgive my sins. And from this day forward, I'll live for you. 
Jesus, I believe that you came into this world, died on a cross in my place, and because of your sacrifice, my life can be made new. So Jesus, take over my life. I give you control once and for all. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, church, we just had people all over across make the decision to follow Jesus. Let's celebrate it together. Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.